Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Surreyor Global Fantasy Football Podcast. This week, myself, Hi Index, and You'll Never Walk Alone are joined from across the pond by well-known Discord user and Surreyor veteran, Surface Air. This week, we're going to focus on Inter Milan joining platform. We're going to look at the upcoming game week, one two two. That Mbappe unique auction setting, that huge record sale amount, and we'll go into some of our observations this week. So, so welcome, Surface. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Surface. How do you do? Nice to uh, nice to hear from you again. Yeah, nice to talk with you again. And now I've uh, had the pleasure of uh, of uh, spending time with you both on Discord, and we've chatted numerous times in person. But uh, I think you've got a really fascinating story from joining. Um, how about you start by yeah giving us a bit of background uh, to those that don't know you so well? Sure. Well, um, so I live in California, and I originally came to Surrare really because of Mark. Uh, spring of last year, 2019, and we were I was playing in a um, the now infamous uh, DAP game called Major League Baseball Champions. Um, which was run, uh, and I use that term run in the most loosely a fashion by uh, Lucid Sight, uh, where Mark and I are both active, active users. And he started telling us through the Discord channel about the soccer game that he was involved with, uh, kind of trying to see if we could you know, pick up some interests. And you know, at the time, I was kind of hesitant to jump in. I checked it out, and you know, I've always loved fantasy sports. I've been playing fantasy sports, honestly, since I was a kid. I played uh, with friends fantasy NFL football on paper before we had the internet, before uh, you know, before it became mainstream. We would, you know, get the newspapers out on Monday morning and calculate our scores from the day before. And so I've, I've always been into, into uh, fantasy sports, but I've really only played baseball and NFL football. And so I started checking out the platform and yeah, it just had some specific assets that I think really appealed to me. I mean, the, you know, the fact that you owned your own assets and, but were playing in a fantasy game was a completely unique idea. It was something that I think MLBC was kind of trying to do on some level, but they had just failed pretty much in, in every single aspect, just miserably. Um, so yeah, when I joined in June or July of 2019, it was pretty small. I would say there was probably about 30 active users. Does that sound about right, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I think slightly more. I mean, we started the beta testing with 30 in the February, March time. But yeah, it wouldn't have mushroomed out to much more than double that, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, 50, 60 users maximum. Yeah. And so anyway, I just decided to buy my first cards. And, you know, after winning that first auction, I was hooked. <laughs> and I've been hooked ever since. So I think... You know, my background's a little bit unique because honestly, I did not know much about soccer, um, football. I had you know, watched World Cup quite a bit you know, throughout my lifetime. I had been to, I visited family in England and been to their uh, local, the third division team games. And I you know, watched that, but I, I just didn't know that much about it. And I didn't know any of the players. I didn't know any of these Belgium teams or you know, I did not have a, a single iota of who Hans Vanaken was, and so it was. It was definitely a steep, a steep curve, made a lot easier by uh, Mark answering incessant amount of questions at the beginning, hours of questions probably, because <laughs> I wanted to just to you know, you know really understand what I was getting into. But yeah, I really enjoy all aspects of the game. Um, I think a really big pivotal moment of my early career was buying someone's collection. So there was this user, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It was A-K-I-I, -I, so I think maybe Aki. And he was from India 
And apparently there was some type of ban on crypto going on in India in the early fall of 2019, and he had to get out. And he was trying to sell his whole collection. I bought his collection for six ETH after much deliberating. And I mean, in retrospect, it was the luckiest move I ever made. I mean, it really helped me springboard to being a competitive player. It was a bundle that had about, if I remember correctly, about 30 super rares and about, I don't know, 40, 50 rares and included two Hans Vinokin super rares, a, a Bangada super rare. I mean, a bunch of just really good at the time super rares who um, were very, you know, very playable and lots of good rares. And um, can I, can I just in, in, interject there, Sam? I yeah. Think and I, and I want to make it clear to the viewers there, you've said six ETH. And, and I think looking at where the game is now, another 18 months on, six ETH is a considerable amount of money uh, when converted back to dollars, euros, or whatever your fiat currency is. But I, I, I know that the breakdown of that bundle because we obviously talked about it prior to you pressing the button to go for it. And at that time, it was still a very serious amount of money given the fact there was you know only a handful of people actively playing the game. Uh, and, and, and I have to say, that was still uh, a risk on par with someone now buying a three or four ETH super rare all by itself. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, at that time, the average super rare uh, of a Naka super rare was like 0.2, you know, 0.3. I mean, I was, I had on numerous occasions went through and added up every single card. I had it and negotiated with him a lot. <laughs> and it was super risky, I mean, a big leap of faith. But, you know, now I'm super happy I, I did it. Certainly and that kind of. Yeah. And, and then that kind of helped me get, you know, into the more serious group of players and, um, you know, go from there. I think as Mark points out, it, it was quite a, a risky move, quite a, a large outlay at that time. And you, you talked about there only being a, a much smaller number of users on the platform. And obviously you, you've talked about MLB and, and maybe coming from a, a space that, that, that hasn't been so successful. So then putting your faith into to another platform, you know, takes a, a bit of, uh, there's a bit of risk involved there from yourself. So what made you make that decision? What, why did you think Surreal was the platform for you to start spending a, a serious amount of money on? Mostly because I just thought it was, I just thought it was fun. I've always taken the approach that there is a, there is like an investment aspect to the game in the sense of you can definitely, you know, make money. There could be a, t a time in the future where, you know, you can profit for sure. But to me, it's just about having fun. And I was <laughs> watching um, Belgian games on the weekends uh, and you know, watching my players play. And that's kind of what I've loved the most about fantasy since the beginning is just analyzing the lineups, you know, trying to figure out you know, scouting and then the actual watching your players on the screen, you know, score kind of the rush you get from that. And, you know, I figured the product looked good and I was going to, I was going to take a leap. And I had, you know, I was, I told myself if I do this one, I'm not going to buy anything else for a while. And, uh, you know, I didn't, and that was pretty, I kept it out for a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was kind of why I took the leap is because I was having a lot of fun and it was worth it to me to spend the money, you know, regardless of whether or not it was going to pay off from an investment standpoint later on. And you were, yeah. you were also part of uh, sort of like a mini group. I mean, again, our journey started at MLBC, but there were others, Jimmer, Black, um, Siberian, that, that all, I think, came across maybe slightly after you or, or a similar time. And I think you, you were very pivotal also in, in helping others that are interested in fantasy sports and looking at these crypto opportunities. But, you know, we didn't all quite get what we wanted out of MLB. Um, and the fascinating thing, again, for me, is that you guys at the time had 
less exposure and less even enthusiasm, dare I say it, towards football as a sport. You, you, as you said, you, all your North American sports, you know, like the back of your hands. But what made it even more interesting was this leap of faith into a, into a, into a sport which there's a lot less knowledge of. Yeah, I mean, the timing was definitely fortuitous for Sorare in the sense that there was a group of people in MLBC who I think were just getting more and more dissatisfied. I came over well. The game was still probably near its peak. Um, except in, you know, there was a portion at the beginning of the, of the endeavor where it was you know, really flying. Then, you know, late spring of 2019, there was still quite a, still pretty active. And then, you know, over the course of that summer, it just fell flat. And by the end of the summer, I think is, you know, a lot of the other people started coming over because they, they wanted something else to be involved with. You know, people liked being, you know, in a fantasy NFT game. And it's interesting because that was always part of the debate. Like, is this a, is this a collecting platform is this a game what is it and that was part of the problem with mlbc it didn't know what it wanted to be and i really like how Sorare is clearly you know a little bit of everything but it's a it's a fantasy sports game you know at its heart that's right and the changes you've seen along the way i so say you you've, you've witnessed a lot more i mean you you've got a year on hybe for example in terms of uh management in Sorare. what are the things that you've enjoyed seeing the most and 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 I know it's difficult to predict the future, but what are the things that you you hope to see Sorare go on to achieve over the next six to 12 months? The evolution of the platform has been interesting for me, and I, I think they've done a great job. I mean, they have fundamentally changed the actual mechanics of the game quite a bit since you know last fall, where you know, we were still entering um, unlimited amounts of teams <laughs> and uh, the divisions were, were much different. So I like how they have, you know, focused on the fine details of the game part, you know, especially the different scoring iterations over the last six months, you know, trying new things, being responsive to the community. Yeah, I mean, as far as as far as you know, where I want to see the game go in the future, <laughs> that's a that's a an open-ended question. But you know, I honestly just hope for more success, and I hope that it maintains to be it remains to be fun. That's why I'm here. And what about any advice for for new managers? That's a good question. Well, Find someone from India looking to sell up. That'll be a good start. <laughs> I think some advice for new managers is, is, um, is to ask veteran managers where they are at with their collection and what they are doing, um, where what their what their plans are, like how they see themselves, because that will help them. I feel like help that help them bridge the gap as far as the you know their timeline goes. Like for instance, looking at myself right now. So what am I thinking about as far as my collection? Okay. You know, I think like most of us, we're always in constant flux. We're always trying to think about like what's next. So like, for instance, for me, my, I kind of have two different things I'm looking at right now. So the first is with the new format change, should I participate in Div 1, you know, the Americas? I haven't really delved into Div 1 yet, mostly because I just can't afford it. Um, I just, I honestly just don't have the money to really buy the kind of players that I would want to play with. And that's fine. That's completely okay. That's part of the game. And there's nothing wrong with that. But MLS, I'm close because the uniques are cheaper and I won quite a few by winning Division Two over this first season. So I have two that are you know, really strong enough to definitely kind of anchor a team and potentially one more depending on how things play out this offseason. So right now, you know, I'm really asking myself that I want to try to buy one or two more, potentially three more to you know, be able to field a pretty competitive team each week. You know, or is it worth it more to me to kind of use those guys in D2s right now in Global and Champion America once once MLS comes back in March? 
it's really the toughest kind of question, <laughs> you know, like, and how do I decide? I mean, part of it will be kind of uh, what cards do I win, you know, in the next two months and, you know, what is my income, my ETH flow look like? That'll determine part of the answer. Part of it is what comes available to potentially buy, you know, what deals can I make is a good opportunity to present itself. Yeah, that's really one of my, like, my top issue right now. And then the other issue right now for me is, is, is really like champ Euro, Euro champ. It's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> it is a it is. tough it's a tough division. Very so, competitive, isn't it? It's getting yeah. So, tough. I mean, going into it, I thought I had a pretty, a pretty top shelf collection. I, I've entered in thirty divisions. I, I added up my stats the other day. I've entered in you know divisions two, three, and four total of thirty times since it started, and I won five rewards. You know, that's not bad. I mean, that's 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 great. A lot of people, I'm sure, would be you know, happy to do that. But I have no podiums, so for me, that's a little bit below kind of where I'd like to. I'd like to be. So the question for me is, you know, really what to do because you know, your champ has some of the best cards in the game and especially at the forward position. So does it make sense for me to, you know, potentially play global all-star and U23 more with those best cards with the Felixes and, you know, with the you know, with CR7 and, and you know, Dowski, et cetera, or does it make sense to, you know, just go all out for champion Europe? Yeah. It's one of those things like, you know, based on the scale of my collection, like what I'm really dealing with right now, and I'm still still trying to figure it out. But to make a long story short, that's the type of thing that, you know, new players should hear because they got to be thinking about, you know, what the big players are thinking about and you know, how they're going to evolve. My biggest problem, I'm new to soccer. I've really only been watching for a year. I don't have the ability, like I would say I do in maybe baseball or uh, to, you know, see somebody who's 20 and say, this guy is going to be a superstar. Like, I just don't have that in the ability in any means. And, you know, I talk with other people as much as I can to kind of learn that type of thing. And I try to, you know, watch um, whenever I can. I watched a lot of MLS this year. So I'm kind of becoming an expert on MLS and I hope to do so you know, going forward. But I just don't have that ability. And so new players need to recognize like where their weaknesses are. The other thing I would say is the social constructs of the game are very important. If you're not going to participate in Discord, there's still definitely an avenue for you to succeed. But I wouldn't have been able to buy my initial purchase. You know, I wasn't on Discord. Most of the trades that I've done have come through Discord. There's a certain element to using Discord that I think is important to being successful, at least for most people. It's not essential necessarily, but I, I wouldn't ignore the social constructs of the game. Yeah, I think that that's that's an excellent last point there because we we came from a background where you know we socialize on a daily basis even if we're not talking about the game you know we we you know even we're just wishing each other how are you doing today and you know and it's through these different connections that you have and the side channels not just what you see in the main general format in the forum it's 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 getting to know people and and through that you can leverage those friendships relationships that can help maybe fast track your progress within the game uh, rather than always having to go to the auction markets and competing against everybody else. There are, I think, more cost-effective ways of growing your collection out faster and more diverse than always having to butt heads with everybody else in in, in, in auctions on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's something I've certainly found this week. I've sold uh, quite a, a few players and, as you said, using Discord has has been really helpful in being able to, to do so. I don't think I would have been able to sell half of those without conversations on Discord with other managers. Definitely check that out. And if you're, you're not using it already, think about getting on there. I know myself, I probably need to, to use it more. And there's lots of ways 
that you can do trades, you can learn about the game and enhance your experience. And certainly a lot of that exists in that space. So definitely check that out. Well, thanks to the guys like yourself who have come over from a different background. Hi, B, you've come over from Football Index predominantly. And, and I know that you guys prefer to, to chat on Twitter. And uh, I think there's a, a an ever-growing market on Twitter as well, which can act and behave in a very similar way to Discord. And I think looking at the roadmap for Serrera and what they're looking to do and the feedback that us as managers have given, I, I think it's inevitable at some point in the future, and I, I don't think anybody knows when, is that we'll have more effective communication tools within the platform. And so whilst I don't think you have to use Discord or Twitter to you know, get on with people and, and negotiate trades, it certainly helps. I can imagine at some point in the future, we'll be doing exactly what we're doing now, but within the parameters of the actual platform or an app uh, as soon as they uh, release that um, in 2021. And it'll bring everybody immediately back onto the same level playing field. It will do. And I think that's been been talked about quite a bit, as you mentioned. Not sure when we'll see that, but certainly think it will be in a future roadmap that we see. So as you said, we'll make it a lot easier to communicate and make a, a much even playing field for everyone there. Yeah, it's so frustrating when you see a card that you're interested in and the owner has a Discord, but you can't find them. <laughs> you, just, you, know, you want to message with them and just like, ah, that's what you can do. That's it. And there's obviously different people put different amounts of, of time into this platform. And, and there will be some who will spend a bit of time trying to search them out on Twitter, trying to find them through other managers and trying to trying to you know identify that that user to have that conversation. Others will, will just look, miss up that opportunity, won't look at it any further. So yeah, once we, we are able to communicate directly in game, it should make that a little bit easier, but it might also then take a, a few opportunities away for the, the more active and more, more proactive users. Right. Well, thanks again, Surface, for sharing uh, your background. I think other people will really enjoy uh, listening to that and uh, hopefully they can benefit from your uh, words of wisdom. So... Moving on, what are we at this week in terms of another big club launch, Inter Milan, uh, which to me looked like a club Bruges being put through the wash uh, when you see their shirts. But uh, do you not like uh, them? Do you not like those uh, designs? I, I do like. I mean, look, I, I, I have a, as you might have seen on Twitter, I posted up the uh, Lukaku that I purchased. Not, I just feel awful about it. I think it looks a nice card. I like the blue, and I'm like, I'm, I am. I think something's gone wrong with me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a red fan. I'm not, blue doesn't even feature in, in any room of my house. And, uh, and I'm getting excited about an ex Everton, Chelsea and Man United guy that uh, is the latest card in my collection. So, uh, but I think from what I've seen, and I certainly wasn't as glued to the screen for Inter Milan as I was to, for Bayern Munich, but uh, the prices look great. I think there was nine or 10 versions of, of, of every single card. It was a big squad. I think 25, 26 players were in, were in the squad. So there was a lot of auctions. I think there was yeah, some variance in the prices when I looked back at Serer data the following day. But it's a massive team, although they're not. They got lucky yesterday with a disallowed goal from Munch and Gladbach and held on to a 3-2 win. They can still get, can they get through to the Champions League next stage or have they still got to, to shoot for Europe? Either way, they're a massive team in Italy and they've got some big household names. And uh, I think it's another great coup for the platform. Yeah, definitely. The fifth, obviously, Serie A side to, to come on and it's another big one. And I think that's what the platform needs. You know, we've had the, the UVs, we've had Bayern joining, we've had Inter, with a lot and lots of other clubs in, in between, and I think yeah, adding to the the platform in this way 
is is fantastic. You see the excitement around the, the social media channels, whether it be Discord, Twitter, or, or whatever. And then, as you said, on the day, you may have not been as as excited, but I certainly, I certainly saw a lot of the, maybe the ex-Football Index users or existing Football Index users be more excited about some of the names they know they're from, from Inter. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of exciting guys, as, as you said. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes some of the, the competitions because as every time every time we have a new club coming on changes the whole dynamic of our SO5 tournaments doesn't it there's more options at play there's obviously less people using the same cards competing against each other so there should be more variance you know, and, and more shocks in, in some of the results there so yeah interesting to see yeah, I think, as you just said there, I mean, one of the observations which I was going to leave till later on, but I can throw it in now, is that you mentioned it there, uh, uh, Surface, as well. When you're considering now entering the Euro Champs divisions one to four, you sort of know straight away what you're going to be up against. You're either going to be up against a team which might have a Juventus spine. You might have a couple of Neymar and Bappe combinations. You might now have Bayern Munich spine to the team. And after this week, it's, uh, you know, you're likely to come across Inter Milan spines to, to those teams as well. And so if you are considering to position yourselves to compete in one of those divisions, do you think it makes sense to have now more of a team-based focus around your five players? Because previously it was, I, I at best had maybe my goalkeeper and defender from the same team, or I might try and put an attacking midfield player with a striker from the same team. But now my team building seems to be, okay, right, well, let me go with three or four Juventus players. And if Juventus have a poor game, well, okay, I've lost that team. Maybe I can make a, a prize out of out of another team. Um, and, I, and I think Inter Milan is another one of those clubs where you can go, all right, well, Lukaku, Latoro, let's whack those up front. Get a couple of good defenders in. They've got Handanovic at the back in goal. And if Inter Milan suddenly have a 4-0 win at the weekend, you're going to be in the prizes if you've got you know three or four of those people in the team. I think that that's definitely becoming more of a trend. We talked about it episodes back that I think you're right with more clubs coming on and, and more top quality clubs that option is now available maybe when I first started you could do that there's certainly some some really good dominant sides already on the platform that you could compose teams primarily off but when you guys started that maybe wasn't um, so much the case so you've pieced together some of the, the best players across different teams and composed teams in that way now we're we're definitely seeing yeah those Bayern teams, hopefully those those inter teams, and I know myself for the, the coming up game week, which we'll, we'll go on to in a, a little bit. I, I've done the exact same. I've looked at some of the fixtures, looked at form, and then went with teams that have a, a spine of players from from teams that I think are are, are going to dominate and, and do quite well. And it also means that if that doesn't happen, that one lineup is is maybe out of the, the running. I still have other lineups in play rather than them being spread about four or five different teams. Yeah, last year was like uh, the Jupiler League equivalent was Kaminsky, Lafis, Vanaken, Embakani, plus one other. And that's four teams already, plus before you've even got your extra player. So uh, it, we've, we've really evolved a lot since then. I don't know who your go-to players were surface last year, but that's probably the spine that we were up against. If you were going to beat, if you were going to win tournaments last year, they, that was the pretty much the team that you'd have to beat each week. Yeah, it was, it was definitely like that. I also remember, while they still had unlimited lineups um, for the three divisions, people were playing quite a bit of complete teams you know, for that synergy. 
instead of trying to, you know, hit four or five different players. At that time, though, there was much less people to choose from. So it was, you know, it was harder to have four or five, you know, high scoring players you know, with the same averages. But yeah, I do think it's a very viable strategy for, um, you know, certain users to, you know, try to take advantage of the synergy by playing, you know, four or five people from the same team. We saw, I think, the user Natanto do like win, win twice in a row a couple of weeks ago with a Lille team and a Genk team come first at a D4, which is pretty nice. So yeah, it's interesting how the different options available depending upon your, your budget well, this week looks like there's some strong Vaslam Beveren teams out there after a there surprise, or maybe not too much of a surprise, 2-0 away win at Charleroi. And, oh, nice. uh, I haven't checked. And I think, again, it'll be interesting to see, and I hope there are users out there that you know have gambled on, you know, say, players from Vaslam Beveren, who probably are, fair to say, at the lower end of the, uh, the valuation uh, of player cards. Coiter, was it uh, Dan Heyman's? I think Yaka's in goal. I think there, there, there could be some interesting... Certainly from an efficiency point of view, um, some tier one, maybe even some uh, tier zero cards won this week by teams comprising of Vaseline Bevering cards, which will be which will be fun to see. That's nice to see. I managed to, to leave both of those out and they were my, my two highest scoring players, I think, in the week, <laughs> or, or certainly up, up there. But yeah, I, I think I've left them out again this week. But I suppose what, what that... That brings to mind is so obviously we're we're using these players to compete in SO5. There's also an element of you might want to to pick up a bunch of players from a certain team because you feel that that team is going through a, a really positive period that they're maybe going to you know kick on and improve over over the next couple of years. We see in, in football it is very cyclical. There there are teams who seem to, to dominate for for a couple of years and then there's someone someone else there. And so at the moment we're seeing you know teams like Club Bruges doing very well in Europe, very well domestically, lots of the really sought after players on, on this platform. Is that something that, that users also do in terms of you know looking at teams that they, they like think that are maybe undervalued and are, are going to go on and do well domestically and, and in European competitions over, over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it is. Club Bruges is kind of a so rare darling. It's been the one of the best teams, I think, since the beginning. I mean, they've just been, they were great last year as well and the year before. But yeah, I think what you're, I think you're hitting a good point. And it's interesting, for instance, if you look at like the MLS, because there you have teams that like traditionally have Kind of develop players who are then sold to Europe, so you know potentially you know have more access to those those types of players at a at sort of a discount because they're in the MLS. There might be an opportunity there, um, and then there are teams that have just been powerhouses for a while. Um, so it's it varies from each league to league, which is something that just really just be about the game, just kind of looking at it from a more holistic point of view. I mean, like for instance, the position of forward is just something that's just. It's just fascinating. I mean, if you look at like what happens in Europe, the good forwards kind of end up going to Eurochamp eventually. I mean, we've seen that with the Osimins and the Davids you know, coming out of the Juliper League. And so, you know, that aspect of the game is just, um, you know, fascinating. And, and users who kind of can see the big picture, I think, you know, will, will have a good advantage in the long run. Yeah, I think as you picked up uh, earlier, Hyvie, as well, from a reputation point of view, maybe six months ago with your Vaseline Bevering cards, you wouldn't have second guessed and you would have had a, a, a team this week put into a, a, a suitable a tournament and they would be competing for you six months forward. And, and because we've got a plethora of choices and a lot of them tend to be maybe higher reputation and 
perceived high better perceived better players it may be that your collection now oh well I'll leave those ones to one side because surely they won't be as good as someone from Atletico Madrid or surely they won't you know do the business like uh, someone from uh, Napoli for example but the nice thing that I've always enjoyed about this platform is that any player on a given day can shoot their 100 points and you know when you look back at the at the, the, the leaderboards each and every week there is guaranteed to be cards there that you've either won and sold on for peanuts because you didn't have faith in that particular player or cards there that say you've left in the in the bottom drawer because you you thought you've got better choices available to you and you're going to get gazumped by a manager who's uh, either stood faith with them or perhaps doesn't have the size of collection to worry yet and they've stuck it in there and uh, that, that guy's compounded their return by winning them yet another card. Yep, and that's exactly what's happened to me with, with Koita this week. Obviously, he's somebody that maybe only a month ago you could probably pick up relatively cheap, from 10, 20 pounds, maybe, maybe even less. Now he's, he's somebody who's going for, for multiples of that because of, of the recent form. So, yeah, if you can do your research, pick up a, have a bit of faith in a, a player who maybe is out of form or, has not really broke into the, the team yet. Yeah, it can, can pay off in, in dividends. And you really kind of have to learn the beats of scouting. I mean, if you're scouting someone like Koita and then you, you know, he goes and has a two goal game, well, you're too late. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, you, you got to kind of have to understand like when to make your move if you think someone is interesting. He's already scored more this season than he did last season, so he's probably peaked anyway. You can stick him back in the bottom drawer again now. That's it. <laughs> so I know this segment was supposed to be about Inter Milan. It still is. So we could wrap it up here on the fact that we've got another double unique uh, auction set for Power Out on Sunday. So we had that fascinating one with uh, Manuel Neuer and Jan Oblak, the goalkeepers. And this week we've got two strikers, two of the biggest names arguably on the Inter Milan squad, uh, Lukaku and Lotaro expiring at the same time. How do you think uh, this one's going to go down, guys? Yeah, they're, they're, they're both huge, aren't they? I think people will, will rate them in completely different ways and they're, they're completely different players. Yeah, both have been on a rich vein of form on the, over the last couple of seasons. Lotaro's obviously had the huge links to, to Barcelona in the past. Lukaku's obviously made that move from Man United and, and seems to be doing pretty well in Italy. So he's a, a great utility card. Lotaro, is he someone with a, a huge bright future? I think people will always price that into it as well. So yeah, I'm not sure how they will fade up against each other price-wise. But... Which one would you rather own surface out of the two? Oof, that's a tough one. I'm really not that familiar with Lotaro, but my hunch is him. <laughs> Just because of the utility in under 23 and... Yeah, I mean, just, there's just a premium for younger players as far as the life of the game, but I, I really don't know. How about you? I think, I mean, if 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 the price is right, I'll take either. Uh, I think uh, I think they're going to go, you know, pretty big this weekend. I, I, I like look from from a game point of view, taking putting my allegiances to one side. I don't think anyone can deny that Lukaku seems to be a goal scoring machine. You know, looking at his SO5 history, there are going to be times where he's, you know, not in the game, misses big chances, ends up with 25 to 35 points. But you're going to get that with every single player. But when this guy scores, I mean, he's he's four or five years younger than Lewandowski. And I always try to try to, you know, compare 
valuations on cards that I've bought in the past. And his Super Rare for me cost 35% of the, the price I paid for a Lewandowski Super Rare. Uh, yeah. I, I certainly think he's, he's more than 35% the player that Lewandowski is. Yeah, his record speaks for itself. Do you know? I have a question for you, Mark. When you're looking at unique forwards, do you take into consideration just their average score or do you take into consideration the game score and the variance that brings? I mean, for instance, you know, like Lukaku to me, like obviously a great average score. He has kind of, I would say, lower all around or lower game scores, you know, on a given week. So if he doesn't get his goals, he's going to be more of a bust. Is that something you take into consideration? Uh, i got to say, and, and you, you can choose to believe this or not, I don't give a monkey's about uh, any previous scores on on players that I'm looking to buy. Uh, I'm looking at more uh, real-world reputation. I'm looking at the potential that there are going to be other fans of this particular club or player. And I'm looking at the trajectory of that person's career. And that might not play out in the short term in terms of giving me rewards straight after I've purchased a card. But I'm looking at this more now that this guy here pretty much... I'd say just under the world superstar status. Uh, if Lewandowski was to retire tomorrow, if Ronaldo was to retire tomorrow, then I can't see how Lukaku is not a top five goal scorer in Europe. Now that might not translate immediately onto our SO5 matrix in terms of points that we get given on, on, on a given game week. But I see this guy as a 40 goal a season a striker. And whether that's perfect for this matrix or not, I know there's going to be a buyer out there for a 40 goal a year striker uh, from a Champions Europe club. Interesting. That's a great take. Yeah, it's not knowing that demand there. That's obviously very important. You mentioned you don't typically look at the scores for for you buying, but you must look at their their previous scores to get an understanding of where you think the the price might go. Because I, I certainly think that seems to be what drives a, a lot of the the pricing on the market. Those last five scores, um, never mind. Yeah, that, I, 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 that's fair. Uh, and, and I think if it's a card that I'm anticipating only wanting to hold for a short term, then, yeah, I have to take into consideration the previous scores because then I have to put myself in the position of the person that's potentially buying it from me. And they will need to have shown, you know, some sort of a decent average over the last five and 15 games for someone to want to buy it off me. But if it's a card of a player that I've got more long-term belief in, I think the only time that I maybe start to look at... Uh, the scores in more detail is for the positions which like the wingers or the full backs that concede a lot of possession which does translate to a lot of lost points or, or negative points within the current scoring and I, and I know there's going to be some magnificent full backs out there and wingers that really don't get in my opinion the, the, the points they deserve for the contributions they make in the game but that's just the way the scoring matrix is at the moment but if it's a a young fullback uh, that I think has got a bright future in the game, I have to believe that at some point when Soraya make a future iteration to the scoring, they're going to notice things like people are flagged up about goalkeepers or they're going to notice about wingers that perhaps aren't getting uh, full credit for take-ons or um, you know they're getting heavily penalised for losing the ball when then their job is to attack and, and, and try and get past the, the opposing fullback. I think a lot of these will come into play because why on earth, why are we all considering to buy these 17 18, 19, 20-year-olds, we're surely not buying them because of what we think they're going to do this weekend and next weekend only. We're buying these cards, I believe, because we think that these cards have got utility for a long, long time to come. And I don't expect to be playing SO5 with these identical rules in six to 12 months. I think between the community, we'll all identify parts of the scoring which can be improved and, and made even fairer. And 
after all is said and done, your collection needs to comprise of the best possible players that you can you can buy within your budget. And 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 I think there are still players out there at the moment that don't fit the matrix that are still worth taking a punt on. I think so. I think there's a, a real balance there between getting players who are fit for the, the current matrix, but also buying real world quality. So players who you you have faith in, you see performing day-to-day or, or week-to-week. Back to you then, Service. How how heavily do you rely on the stats? On you know, So certain players, as you said, you know baseball, you know American football. You know, I'd struggle to, 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 to name a half a dozen people that play those sports. So when you come over and you see a new team like Inter Milan, how do you assess, you know, the early auctions and the squad and, and whether or not there's some players within that team that might be right for your collection? Oh, wow. Well, it's a long, boring answer, but I'll, I guess the short version is, is that it really varies from league to league and the amount of people playing in it. Like, I definitely approached how I pick up cards for MLS this year versus how I would pick up cards for Eurochamp, you know, going forward. MLS cards, I would be more kind of the statistical analysis of it because they're less commercial and... Um, there's less people. And so I want less variance. I just want to get, I want to have the average scores, you know, I want more chance of getting the average scores that I'm expecting. Whereas you're a champ, you know, there's the best players are really, you know, very expensive uh, relative to the other players. Of course, you know, you kind of have to hit, you have to have a certain amount hit, so to speak, to to really have a chance. So it, it varies from league to league and it kind of varies from time to time. I mean, there are, in general, I would agree with the statement that I'm not buying for next week or the week after, but there have been a few times when, you know, I bought a card to fill out our roster for that particular week because there was just an opportunity there, whether it was J1 and you know, whether it was the you know, J1 division and there's just not a lot of people entering um, or, you know, I had, I was one card away from a super strong team in a weekly. It kind of varies. That, that's the, that's the short of it. <laughs> no, it's fair play. So you're, you're, you're playing the game as opposed to just the actual individual cards. I think that takes us on to our game week look ahead. So we're going to be looking ahead to game week one, two, two. So after the, the one, two, one week where we've had lots of European games, Champions League, Europa League games, we're, we're back with a 16 league domestic game week. So yeah, what are your thoughts, guys? Where are your, your hopes this week? Well, my first thought is that on the in the MSL MLS games, there should be actually two games. Um, C- Seattle should play whoever wins tonight's game on Monday. So there's actually two games since instead of the one that's currently listed, if I'm doing my calculations correct. So there may be a game added there then. Yeah. So at the moment, I think that's the, the only league with such a, a light schedule, the, the one and game, it, but everywhere else seems to be full. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting from my perspective because I have quite a few good cards, but there's not a region open. So I have to make the decision, am I going to put these you know good cards into Global All-Star or I can at least use them? And or or can I you know potentially use better cards from the yeah, European leagues and global all-star and not use them, but you know, have to sacrifice you know, sacrifice the kind of the the strength versus the width question. <laughs> well, I imagine though, if uh, if it's coming up, well, it's coming up to the final stages of the MLS. You're going to be pretty rock solid. The teams are going to be going with their full strength team, and you're probably less worried about rotation at the moment because they're going to be giving it their all in the last uh, 90 minutes, 180 minutes. Whereas all the teams in Europe, what we tend to find is that anyone that's had a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday match, again, you have to pay real close attention to see whether or not they're going to play again on the weekend. Uh, and so maybe the uh, the strategy for using MLS cards in All-Star um, at least reduces your uh, potential for, for, for DMPs. Oh, ex- totally. I mean, like, for instance, I have a, a Yassi Zardes card forward for Columbus Crew, super rare. 
and I'm debating whether or not to put him in Division Two Global All Star right now or uh, to pay. And you know, to pay definitely scores better, and he'll probably play since they didn't have a game midweek. But if I don't use his artist there, I'm not going to use him anywhere else. And I could still use the to pay, you know, in Champion Europe. So it's exactly the type of things like. Yeah, I'm going through so far in the playoffs, the best players have played. Yeah, but I think you're, you're right, Mark, with the, the European base guys. You do have that rotation conundrum, don't you? And we're seeing it every single week now. More, more and more rotation in these top European sides just because of the, the fixture schedules we have at the moment. So it's certainly, certainly played a massive part in my thinking this week in my lineup, doing the, the challenger lineup earlier on today. And I, I really focused on what teams had been playing, it, playing in Europe which ones were, were likely to, to then make some rotation. And it meant I left out some some really top players, but I'm just not 100% sure that they will play straight away again. So, yeah, creates creates lots of lots of decisions and challenges. Yeah, I think on paper, Bologna, looking but... at the Serie A this week, um, Inter at home to Bologna, Napoli away to Croton, which you would expect Napoli to, to prevail in. Roma have got a home game. Juventus got a home game. Lazio away at Spezia. I, c- I can see some 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 strong Syria performances this week, but as you said, it's it's guessing who's actually going to make their starting lineups. And we're coming to the end of the Russian league as well. Well, I say that it ends with their, the, before they pause for a much longer winter break. Yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, over the next <laughs> couple of weeks we'll see. You know, this is this is the last chance where I think guys like yourself, Surface, have got the chance to blend in those MLS cards. And you know, we're we're, we're rapidly coming to the end of the J League season as well. And I think we're going to have, uh, you know, again, maybe the early part of January, maybe for the full month of January, uh, I think we're going to have some very interesting, very similar lineups competing. So right now, I think we've got the last chance of putting in a few differentiators, which might be the difference between get these ones right and finishing in the top uh, placings or on the podium. Um, and then it's going to come down. I hope we're going to actually have a month where we have similar cards finding each out and maybe the extra one or two percent of... Uh, a bonus power bonus is is could could, could not bring the difference if you guys yeah. all beat there mark <laughs> well if, 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 until this bloody new five percent rule came in yeah <laughs> i'm looking at all my cards i've got a couple of lafont uh, and i've got a couple of lucemies that uh you know i don't think i could have put any more xp into these guys whatsoever and my 2019 is getting trumped already by the 2020. So, you know, I'm now, I'm now looking forward to the time where all these 2000, when we went into the, the following season, and then I can actually see the true power of the ones I got in 2019. And hopefully the 2019s will be stronger than the 2021s that come out. And they may well be, yeah. I've, I've been looking at that and trying to power up some of those guys. It was an interesting, you know, conundrum all summer. I mean, do you train your super rares who were, you know, going to be out of d3 soon or even approaching out of d2 i had a couple get out of d2 you know or not and especially with the, with the two game weeks per per week and i mean it was a decision that you know, everyone had to face and you know, some people are going to benefit from making the right one and that's what's great about the game well we were talking since june weren't we, we were thinking well we're just going to time our run so we can you yeah. know we'll be, re- we'll be out of it in july and then it, july tripped into august and august tripped into september it's like well we, we've gone past the point of no return now so we might as well just keep slamming the xp in and then you're having to use your prizes, whoever they happen to be on the Tuesday morning, to put into your team, Division 3 teams on the Tuesday afternoon because they're the only ones that you've got under sub-21 uh, multiplier to even get anywhere near the 66 times cap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a challenge I've never had, but yeah, must be must be nice. 
be. I was curious, you know, what is what is your next step? Like, where do you see your collection at? I'm looking at your collection page right now. And like, what are you concentrating on? So I think I need a bit of, of refinement. I think I, I found my, my way in the, the early stages of, of the game. Obviously, the, there's been a bit of a transition in terms of the, the, the whole gameplay. So that has changed what I want to, to do going forward, potentially. So at, at the moment, I probably have few too many players um, because I don't have enough goalkeepers to, to maybe train them all. So I'm, I'm looking to maybe shed a li- some of those and then be able to, to refocus my efforts on the, the divisions that I'm, I'm fairly strong in. So the European champion and challenger are the, the two divisions my collection is primarily focused on. I think in Division 4 and Division 3, I've got quite a lot of options and, and strong enough options. I think I could do with adding some additional, you know, really elite super super rares into the Division 3 sides there, just to give me a, a few more options. I think well, I've talked there about my, my under-23 goalkeeper situation, so I'd like to get a few more options in there. Um, and then eventually start to, to look at building more, more teams for Division 2. So I've got enough to, to enter Division 2, not to, to, to really compete or, or actually think about podium, hitting any podium. So I, I think getting those real elite, super rare players in will allow me to, to one, start competing more in the Division 3s that I'm already entering in, um, but also maybe increasing the output in, in Division 2. So I think the, the next thing we're going to look at is some of the community social activity. And obviously the, the big one this week is the Surrey Manager's World Cup coming to to an end. So obviously, clip put that that together. It's been a fantastic tournament. All, all that information on the in the Discord that he's been capturing and, and updating week on on week for each of, of the teams and finalised in a Panama versus France World Cup final, the first ever Surreal Managers World Cup final. And yeah, it was a a, a pretty tight one. So Panama one in one in the end there. They're always my choice. I told you, Mexico, France, I told you they never had any chance at all. I knew it was going to be Panama all along. What I thought was the most interesting was like looking at the final game. I mean, the team matchup three uh, in the finals where you know, they overtook the other team with uh, Lior Rafalov play. I mean, look at the teams that went head to head. It was Kaminsky, Eduardo, Rafalov, Holhauser, Bongata be- beat a team of Magnin, Diaz, Morioka, Bongata, and Chiro. And I think it's just a good embodiment of, you know, what Sarrera is about. I mean, any team... The underdog win. can win. Yeah. The exactly. underdog, exactly, yeah. And, I mean, uh, you know, even the matchup number two, Marchison and Bamba, um, and Bamba Soler, Onichu, and Frank Honorat beat a team of Navis, Delit, Vanaken, Mbappe, and Chiro. So, it's, those cheat, it's those cheat cards from the lower leagues. Unbelievable. So, but there's, there's value everywhere. And obviously they've got different different demand for, for these players and, and they will be priced differently in different future utility. But yeah, as you can see, in that the one, one, one lineup. I think the tournament really highlighted the potential of a head-to-head type of format. That's you know, a very traditional thing in American fantasy sports, in baseball and football. You play people you know, on a weekly basis head-to-head. And it, it, uh, when you're not playing a field, it gives a lot more type of value to a much wider range of cards. Do you think that's something you'd like to see in the platform? So the ability to, to set up our own head-to-head tournaments or there be some f- format of head-to-head competition? Oh, definitely. So something no, I wanted to touch on, what, what were the major differences? Obviously, you coming from the, the American fantasy sports market and coming into the, the, the soccer market. 
what what's the the major differences there from the gameplay perspective? Because I think the American fantasy sports market is far more mature. Um, we've obviously got fantasy Premier League that has millions millions of users, um, but the, I think there's a, a lot more options over in the, the US, and it's certainly a, a huge huge pastime, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's huge. I mean, you play it, you know, at work, and <laughs> it, yeah. lots of people play it. I think one of the more interesting things right off the bat is the flow of information. I mean, the National Football League and Major League Baseball have just adopted uh, fantasy sports as part of their revenue stream and over the years, you know, kind of tailored how they handle information to some degree to assist these leagues. And specifically what I'm getting at is like injuries. I mean, the for the American coming over to Serrera, the injury situation in, in soccer is just absolutely you want to tear your hair out. I mean, it's just, you never know who's going to play and the teams have no um, restrictions or really kind of, they don't have much as far as like reporting requirements that the sports do have uh, in major league baseball and football, which makes, you know, just for a much more feasible fantasy experience. So that's, that's one of the big things that like is really an adjustment for when you come over. You just, it's very hard to find information and you, know, you just don't know. But for instance, if soccer said, you know, unless there's an injury in warmups, you know, you have to declare who's eligible, you know, two days in advance, or if, you know, a guy gets injured, he has to go on a uh, injured list for a certain period of time, which is something that baseball and football both have, um, you know, you, you just can't, you're not going to, you can't avoid all these DMPs. So that right there was, is one huge difference. And then, I mean, part of the difference of Sorrera, which makes it so great is that you, you know, the fact that you own these assets is unlike anything I've played in any American fantasy sports situation, which is kind of what you know appeals to me. There's definitely a, you know, there is a, a lot of group kind of you play the field type of fantasy sports games, but most people, I think, play more like head to head types of scenarios where, you know, you draft players and the you, know, you play over the course of a season and then you, know, you start over the next season or maybe you keep some players you know, to the following season, you know, fundamentally the sports are much different, you know, there's just inherently some things that are part of baseball and football that are a little bit better for the kind of fantasy experience as far as stats go. It's a little less subjective. I mean, you know, in soccer, you have, you know, a lot of stats that were literally somebody is, you know, watching at Opta and deciding whether or not this is a big chance missed or not. And, uh, you know, it's, so it's just a kind of a different experience. I mean, the, the games themselves, which are, you know, all the games are great. I love all three sports. Um, but if Sorrera ever did branch out into baseball, ooh, watch out. <laughs> you break it at the bank account. So maybe in a, well, maybe in some time, but I think we've got a, a lot of football clubs yet to go. Exactly. So a, another big talking point this week was obviously that Mbappe unique auction. So when, the, when was that? Did I miss something? Who's Mbappe? Did you not get involved? What, what, what happened there? I must have. Been, I must not have been able to log on. I think it was songs of praise on on Sunday. You were sleeping night. that perhaps day. I missed, perhaps I missed it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you I think you did. That was a certainly certainly a biggie. Nearly fifty thousand pounds that that card went for. So Max Mersch picking up um, quite the the utility card. Yeah, he's only got one more game to go, and then he if he doesn't score next week, then he would have gone a whole year in the Champions League without scoring. That's that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's twenty one, and he's going to score many a goal in that Champions League. So so don't I wouldn't worry too much about that. But yeah, one hundred sixteen ETH, so a huge record for for the platform, massive price. Is it worth it? 
I probably won't. I probably won't compete at this level any longer. <laughs> I know that card in, in circulation. <laughs> so I think that answers the question, doesn't it? My thought is that it's impossible to know. I mean, the generic statement is, is Superstar X, you know, worth bought for Y going to be worth Z in the future? I mean, there's no way of knowing. Up until this point, there has definitely been obviously great appreciation for some of the cards. You know, can a user pay 114 ETH or whatever it was for Mbappe and, you know, recuperate that through rewards as the game currently stands? I'm not sure. So you're probably factoring in some amount of future appreciation of the actual card as a collectible to whether or not the question is is it worth it, it it's it's really tough to say well you, say, you, you say don't that. think they could recoup sorry um, you don't think they could recoup that back from the the rewards so i think oh. when i seen it oh. sorry, i put out a tweet thinking that this was possible to sort of recoup that value if you if you perform well and, and surround them with the, the right other players and enter them in the, in the right in the right way but you could potentially return the value of that within 24 months yeah I, I agree i think i think maybe 24 months is still a little bit too optimistic but okay. even if even if he doesn't quite go on to fulfill his potential in the next 12 months and let's take he takes it to 24 25 to really become that superstar that everyone believes he's going to be he's still going to hold a large amount of residual value uh, i can't even imagine max Mersch putting him on the market for anything less than what he paid for him and so he's always going to be viewed as a hundred ETH card. I think the telltale points will be this time next year, assuming he's still at Paris Saint-Germain or maybe he's moved on to another team that might be licensed within Serer and a second unique comes. You know, we've seen how other big name players have had their second unique come on and how that's affected the price overall. Um, will, will an Mbappe next year be another hundred ETH card? If it is, fantastic. Um, but if it isn't, you know, there's, there's going to be other cards. Haaland out there, I think, is going to push Mbappe close. Yep. You know, we've still got a second Ronaldo to come. We've got a Delict now, Felix. I know these are cards that uh, uh, perhaps didn't perform as well as they should do last year, but have started this season strong. We're going to have a group now, I think, of 50 to 100 ETH cards based on this uh, auction. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not sure. I guess it depends on how you calculate, you know, your reward recuperation. I mean, I, ha I have my own method for kind of how I calculate it and, you know, one card is really less than one fifth of, you know, a lineup to some degree. And so you have to pair Mbappe with a lot of other cards as well. And, you know, I mean, I haven't looked at his collection. And I don't know exactly, you know, how he's going to be playing it. Um, but um, it's tough to say. I don't, I just don't think you can uniformly say you could recoup the rewards of a card that expensive, but, you know, I, I'm not saying he can't make money off it. I'm just saying it's a really big risk to me, but, you know, it's fantastic for the platform. It's fantastic for the team. It's super, it's you know, undoubtedly very exciting as well. So, and I think it's a great thing overall. Yeah, I wish I had been able to, to get involved there, but sadly not, but be interesting to, to see how he gets on. So, I, Surface, I think you've, uh, you've, you've, you've picked up a number of questions this week that uh, you, you wanted to put to us. Is that correct? Sure. A lot of the uh, Americans and people who were in the original Major League Baseball game uh, that I referenced earlier, I kind of want to channel together questions. I, like I told people I was going on to the podcast to see if we could have the group discuss. I think the first one we should start is um, what is the difference? Um, do goalkeeper scores have enough variance to discuss? There's a, the difference between an elite goalkeeper like Oblak and an average keeper like Fabianski is now less than five points. Um, and this is from the user Black. Yeah, I think that's a, that, that's a tough one and very subjective as well. So Although 
we see All Black as a an elite keeper. He's somebody who puts in performances week in, week out. I'm not so sure Fabianski isn't also a, a very good keeper who who should be scoring quite highly. Um, so it's, I've not personally looked at that variance between keep, goalkeeper scores um, in, in so much detail. I have the, the goalkeepers that I currently have. I have some quite high-quality goalkeepers for the divisions that I compete in, so I don't really then need to compare their, their scores to, to others in, in that way or, or think about it as such. Maybe maybe I, I should do, but yeah, these goalkeepers are, are facing different challenges in games. Um, so somebody like Fabianski may be facing a, a lot more shots, maybe having to, to stop a, a lot more shots. Black may be pulling off these these uh, amazing wonder saves and getting the plaudits for, for this, but on the other end of, of the scale, there, there will be goalkeepers that play for the lower-end clubs who are actually facing a, a lot more pressure throughout the game. And and how does that translate? So I'd really need to look into the matrix in a lot of detail and study previous results to, to give a, a more accurate answer on that. But I think gut feel for, for me that there should be a way of rewarding goalkeepers all, all throughout. So, yeah, some, somebody lets in four goals, yeah, there's got to be some some penalties for that. But on the way to letting in those four goals, they, they've maybe pulled off 25 saves compared to, to that elite keeper who's not had a, an awful lot to do in a game, pulled off three or four big saves in a in a, a nil nil draw or a, or a game they they've won. So I don't I don't know. It's a it's a, a very difficult question. Here's here's I my think, thought. Think, oh, go ahead. No, you go for it, Sam. I mean, one thing I hear a lot is that. Um, if you look at the top 15 or the top 25 goalkeepers, the average score is much less than defender, midfielder, or forward. To me, that is less the issue. Um, what's more the issue to me is like when I watch a game, kind of the eye test, and I just feel from a fantasy game perspective, the goalkeeper is somewhat less interesting, um, especially if like they give up an early goal. I mean, it's basically right now, do they get a clean sheet or not? And you know, Maybe do they get a chance to block a penalty? But other than that, if they give up the goal early in the game, the rest of the game just frankly isn't so interesting. So I think what would be potentially a nice fix would be to add a decisive action for a goalkeeper of a certain number of saves. I mean, I don't know what that number is. That would take analysis of the matrix, you know, to kind of figure it out. But maybe it's four, maybe it's five. I'm not totally sure. But a certain number of saves gets you a decisive action. And so that kind of gives you something to watch for while you're watching the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with that 100%. Uh, and I'd also like to see that... Uh, goalkeepers can achieve that magical 100 score, which I don't think under this current system we are likely ever to see. You know, in an ideal world, you want to be lining up. And I think you put a great suggestion forward the other day, Surface, in terms of, you know, uh, a rolling jackpot for, you know, making, you know, getting your outfield players to all hit that magical 100 points. And I think the utopia, whether you're, whether you've got rare cards, super rare cards, unique cards, is that laying down five cards one week and each of your five getting 100 points, that's got to be utopia. That's got to be, I've won yeah. the game now. Thanks very much indeed. There should be and some kind of reward for that. I totally yeah. agree. So, that. so I think so. I think the, the next iteration for me on goalkeepers should be a scale that allows, you know, in a similar percentage. And I think Pierre said that six out of every thousand uh, players should score or have been scoring at 100 points. It does feel a little bit more like that, to be honest, but uh, six out of a thousand. And I'd like to see some goalkeepers feature in that. And, you know, maybe one way to, to balance it slightly better, slightly more towards, you know, 
higher reputation goalkeepers will be to add things like a win bonus because there's no point being man of the match in a in a in a, in a game where you lose 2-1 uh if you've done absolutely nothing or just made one save and your team's won 5-0 you know i think there's i think there's a a benefit to having a goalkeeper in a team like that. Um, I certainly don't want my goalkeeper to be on the losing side every week. Whereas now they can be on the losing side each week and still get 50, 60 points if they still if they pull off a number of saves along the way. Yeah, I think when Pierre said the six out of 1,000 player scores is 100 points, I mean, what you have to take in consideration is that the user base you know, primarily only uses you know, 100 different players. I would imagine it's you know, a lot of the players in the, user, in, the, in the pool are never used by anybody on a week-to-week basis. Okay, next question. This is from the user Adotjot. Do you think that there should be more parameters for selling cards? Like for instance, unlimited time, setting your own auctions, smart contract integration, et cetera. I think the short answer to that is yes. And and I think it will come. And for those that have the the knowledge and ability, you can already do that by exporting your cards out to your uh, external wallet and making auctions on OpenSea, rising auctions, falling auctions, setting, you know, different uh, parameters for uh, encouraging and and welcoming bids on your cards. So it's there externally, it's not there internally. And I think hopefully we will get that chance uh, for it to uh, be replicated in the platform. Yeah, Um, I think so. Something will come. Don't think it'll be too soon, but yeah, definitely something we'll we'll see in in the future. And as you said, there's options to do that externally if you wish. Okay, next question is from the user Dominic. Um, what do you think about an official SO11 league? We have it as a Discord side game already with the Russian Premier League, but what if there was, for example, a global all-stars SO11 on server.com and how yeah. would that influence the market? I'm a, a huge fan. Um, personally, I think it's something that I would like to see. I've talked about this before with, with others and I'm not sure whether there's enough managers with large enough collections currently to, to support it. But I think as soon as you, you know, build it and they, and they will come. So people would build collections to start competing in there. I think when when I've thought about it, I think it would have to be more of an extended tournament period. So not game weeks like we, we have with SO5. So maybe something that, that ran for the course of a, a season or, or certainly for a, a longer period of time. You placed your, your cards in. Those were, were set for the, the SO11, then eligible for, for SO5 on a weekly basis. So I, I think it, it would pu- push users to, to want to, to expand their collections and have more options w- within that collection. Certainly for, for me, having over 400 cards, it would be great because I'd be able to, to utilise 11 of them um, more so than, than I can do currently. But I think it would be really exciting. And you've just talked about it in the past there about the the US fantasy sports largely having season length tournaments and, and that and the buzz that builds from that and whether or not you know that that season tournament carries on into the, the following season do you keep those those 11 players or do you you change your squad it it almost becomes more of a, a managerial game mini game rather than a, a short-term fantasy football game um which is is quite interesting i may think yeah. that this particular club's going to do really well and i touched on that before that this team's going to do well over the next couple of seasons i might bulk up my, my so 11 side in that way banking on this team to, to do well domestically and to, to get to the latter stages of their, their their european competition yeah i can see it i can see it coming i can't see it replacing so5 i think the simplicity and the attraction to casual users 
to pick up and play. I think it's it's. I think SO5 will will hopefully remain the flagship game. There'll be many other games I think that we can play and enjoy the cards with, and I, I can see, for example, a weekly challenge might be the first way that they introduce uh, SO11. So again, you don't have to have a huge collection to have a one-off uh, entry into uh, a weekly challenge, for example. Um, and I think maybe if it evolves beyond that, maybe it will involve things like uh, squad registration, so that maybe these are month-long tournaments, or as you've said, a high B, slightly longer tournaments where you say, okay, for the next four weeks, next three three months, we're going to be playing. You pick your, your, your collection of 2025, and you have a, uh, a tournament that's last where you can pick 11 from that 25, like clubs do in real life. Um, but I don't think, I mean, for the short term, certainly we're not going to suddenly see all of the regions that we've got open and the All-Star and the under-23 all suddenly jump from 5-a-side to 11-a-side because I think that it has the potential to deter and scare off, you know, those that are wanting to start up and, you know, a competitive 11-a-side game it's going to be very, very expensive. And I think unless there are parameters around the cost of the squad that you uh, put in place, I think for the casual user, anything like substitutes or anything that opens it up to seven aside, nine aside, 11 aside, I think it's only going to favor those with larger collections and larger wallets. I can't see how uh, more casual managers are going to consistently be able to outperform uh, managers with you know deeper collections and, and deeper wallets. Yeah, I think that's a, a very fair point, and the SO5 does need to, to continue to be that that flagship item. I think you touched on it there, the ability to pick up and go, and and, and that's what you you want your users to be able to, to come in and really just pick up this game and, and start playing and, and not have too many barriers there. So if there is a, a larger cost to entry barrier, that, that's not going to be great for, for new user onboarding. But I think maybe, as you said, getting it into the, the weeklies, there might be a, a good way of yeah see, seeing what kind of interest there is in this space and, and what kind of feedback we get from the user community around it. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's, it's all good points. Okay, second to last question. Um, this is from the user Cal Rippon. Uh, for, for future expansion of the game, what, are, what do you see as some of the pros and some of the cons of additional card tiers uh, versus sticking with the 111 blockchain cards max per season they currently have right now so this comes up quite a lot doesn't it the do we introduce a fourth tier and it's often talked about do we introduce that that common tier i've thought about it a few times and i think at the, at the moment my, my view is that it's not one it's not needed and um, but two it's not necessarily within the, the best interests of, of, of the game i don't think there's a, enough of a, a user base at, at the moment that there would be a demand for a thousand common cards of every player on on the platform, um, unless they were at a really low price. I think the the structure that we have with the rare, super rare, and unique is, is great. I think there is a, a barrier to, to entry from a cost perspective, that per, and and that might be more of a perception issue because we've talked about it a lot in the past that you can put together quite competitive teams quite cheaply, but We've also talked about how there, there are limitations to that as well, and, and we, we touched on it there. If there, there was a, an SO11, that might favour some of the, the larger accounts. So I think it's a, a real balance. How do you make this game accessible within the, the current confines and structures that we have? You've got to take into account 
all the, the new leagues and clubs that will come onto the platform and the amount of cards that that actually brings into the ecosystem. So maybe we're seeing the, the 111 being a little bit restrictive at, at the moment as we grow. But as more and more teams come, come onto the platform, I think that becomes less of, of an issue. So as you, you've maybe got only got two or three elite European champion goalkeepers, there, there's only 350-ish of those for the, the 2,000 plus users to, to own. So yeah, prices are going to rise. There's going to be a, a challenge to, to actually get involved. As you, you've got literally thousands of, of options available across all, all the, the different league structures, that becomes less of an issue and there's probably a lot more of a, an ease of entry for, for users. Yeah, I think for me, I think at some point the game's got to decide, are they going to appeal to an ecosystem of managers that want to pay to play this game and if so i think this could evolve into more of a dare i say high stakes fantasy football uh and for those that don't want to pay and there's a lot of those people out there that uh, love the game but uh you know it's quite daunting to you know put together a team of paid cards it's a very different game when you're playing you know without any risk or any skill in the game and i can see maybe a move to having a completely free to play model where you can have as many cards you like, all free, you know, maybe a few prizes here and there, but keep that segregated from what we know and have, have, have started from day one, which is the 111 cards, versions of each card. And as you've just said there, Hybe, you know, in, in a couple of years' time, if we do get to that magic 20 leagues covered around the globe and an argument say, you know, 15 to 18 teams in each division, we're going to have 350 teams we're going to have plenty of cards and that that i think provides enough of an ecosystem for Sorare to you know manage that comfortably and attract people of a similar ilk that want to play in competitive paid version of fancy football and as long as they offer that a free to a free to play version for those that don't want to be involved then i think they can they can service uh, both types of users. I was going to say i just real quickly i don't i kind of done a 180 on my thoughts about common cards there has been a lot of talk about them you know, I, I feel like potentially one of the great aspects of the game is just, you know, watching your players play. And there is a barrier to entry for somebody who comes in. If you're new to the game, you want to watch, you know, Mbappe, you want to watch Neymar, you want to watch your favorite players play. And that can be, you know, just unattainable for a lot of user base. So I think it'd be interesting to actually have a common type of card. I don't know if the, you know, the economics of blockchain would work for the, for, you know, the team as it is right now, as far as minting these cards and if they would sell enough for, how much it costs to mint cards and potentially, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need to have it with all you know, 15 players of every team, maybe a curated collection of, you know, the top five players from each team. So that at least, you know, new users could have a way of, you know, playing with superstars and of course, you know, separate divisions, keep it like, as you said, segregated. Um, okay. Last question <laughs> um, from a, from some guy called Zura. What are the key ingredients to maintaining the growth of the game? Will it come from adding top tier clubs, which clearly, you know, is a limited amount of times you can kind of fire that bullet or enchanting the user experience gameplay? What do you see as the, as the key? Experience a hundred percent. So obviously adding the clubs and that's a great thing. But as you said, there's, there's only so many times that that can happen. Once all, all the clubs are on, that excitement, that, that new user drive that you get, isn't, isn't quite there. People need to, 
be wanting to come back to this from from the gameplay. And I, I think for me, me personally, so for, from your, yourself, Sam, what you've talked about in your journey and how how you found it, I think that's mo- most people who join the platform seem to to have that get that excitement about the game very quickly. They are genuinely enthusiastic about this prospect. There's n- not anything else like this in the, the world of, of football fantasy um it's it's completely different and yeah there's a, a real buzz a real excitement around getting your your lineups in each week seeing seeing how they perform seeing the rewards that you get back that's a there's the certain elements that i think the communities get quite buzzed about and it's it's that understanding that picking off of the the lineups it's the, the watching them in action and then it's the, the results so those there's a sort of the three pillars to that i think and yeah that's that's really exciting so as long as you keep the game engaging people wanting to, to play wanting to research players that that's going to be fantastic i think something we touched on earlier around the um the head-to-heads and some of the the other introductions you can bring to the platform that maybe keeps people more engaged so you're coming onto the surreal website or app as we'll, we'll have in the future on a more regular basis not just to, to set your lineups for the next game week, not just to, to make a few purchases at auction, but that there's maybe something going on there every single night that you can get involved with, whether you want to or not. So, yeah, I think it's it's as you've just both said there, but I think it's also where, where the success has come so far is that they've paced themselves very well. You know, from the very early stage, we've never had a glut of cards, we've never been short of cards. We've always matched the growth of the player and the user base with the speed in which new clubs have been onboarded. And I think that's been vital. And we perhaps take that for granted. You know, we could have, you know, big clubs join the platform that could bring spikes of new users. Um, But if there's not enough cards to satisfy those users, then all of a sudden we see prices skyrocket. But we've never seen that yet. We've seen gradual increases in prices, which I think has been healthy. Uh, And we've not had the scenario where, we haven't had new clubs coming on board and we've got too many managers and they're all fighting over, you know, small amounts of cards. So I think that pathway, as long as that continues in, in a similar vein until we hit that magical 20 leagues, I think that's a, a good starting point. But then again, uh, the, the next part of the journey has to be, as you said, maximizing the enjoyment by, you know, giving us better tools, uh, giving us more options to, you know, play and utilize the cards that we own, to show off the cards that we own, to, you know, celebrate and embrace the cards, you know, socially, you know, can we use these in, in games by ourselves without having to, you know, conform to what's going on within the platform? So, you know, we, we, we still haven't scratched the surface in terms of what is, is, is possible with these cards. Um, but along the way, I think the, the key thing to keep everybody interested and, and have that steadfast belief that this has got, you know, real longevity to it is making sure that the supply and demand keep, uh, keep, keep pace with each other. So that brings us to the end of today's Surrey Global Fantasy Football Podcast. I hope you found it useful. As always, if you could like, subscribe, leave a review, then we can help introduce the fantastic concept to more users. See you next time.